to Natural MD Radio. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. 30 years ago, I was a hippie home birth midwife and herbalist, a pioneer on the cutting edge of natural medicine and natural living. Now, an internationally known Yale-trained MD practicing integrative and functional medicine, I'm here to tell you the whole truth about health, what you need to know to avoid unnecessary and potentially harmful treatments, when medical care is valuable, and what alternatives you can rely on. My goal is to help you sort through fact and fiction about health and medicine and be able to make the most informed choices so you can take back your health with natural approaches whenever possible, which is most of the time. What if I told you your body's ability to heal is greater than anyone has ever permitted you to believe? That would be a pretty surprising thing to hear a medical doctor say, wouldn't it? But it's the stunning truth. In fact, every fiber of our being is designed for self-healing and self-renewal to protect us and keep us strong. But somewhere along the line, each of us, or most of us at least, were taught not to believe this, to look to the medical system for most of the answers to our health problems. In fact, as a culture, we have confused health and healthcare, and they're two really different things. In fact, most of getting and staying well has nothing to do with what happens in the doctor's office. It's what happens every day of our lives. It's every choice we make outside of the doctor's office. What happens in the doctor's office is often tests that may catch a disease once it's already started, and often a lot of unnecessary over-medication, over-surgeries, over-treatments that can often lead to more harm than good. As a culture in general, we talk about getting more health care to people, but what are we really talking about? Are we getting more good food to people, more disease prevention, or just more unnecessary treatment that pads big pharma and doesn't really get us the health and lives that we want? Now, this is not what I grew up knowing. As a kid growing up in the 1960s, 1970s, in a housing project in New York City with a very busy single mom, I grew up with my share of stress and eating fast foods and TV dinners, which were all the new rage at the time, and getting a fair share of antibiotics because like they are now, antibiotics were pretty much given out every time a kid had a fever, cold, or cough. I also struggled with severe allergies, sometimes needing medications during the summer that put me to sleep for hours on end. I suffered from anemia, which made me feel really tired a lot and cold all the time, and also gave me horrible pains in my legs. The good news is that I was smart as heck from the time I was a teeny tot. I was reading when I was like two years old, And by the time I was in third grade, I was winning school and county science fairs and spelling bees. And pretty quickly after that, by the time I was in about fourth grade and I was about nine years old, I decided I wanted to become a medical doctor. So I studied and I worked hard. And when I was 14, I was accepted to a very prominent high school in New York City called the Bronx High School of Science. Something like 20 or 30,000 people apply to it every year, and 1,000 people get seats. 
It's got like more Nobel laureates than any high school in the country or something like that. It's a super high pressured place. But even more importantly, I was doing a two hour commute in the morning and then again, another two hour commute to get back home. And then I had hours of homework at night and I was on a debate team. I'm a champion debater, actually. And, or I was back then. My husband would probably still say I am, or at least I would say I am to him. And it was a really stressful year. My mom remained a single mom. I shared a bedroom with my brother, who was four years younger than I am. And uh, we had bunk beds until I was 14 and a half years old. And we lived in something like a 650 square foot apartment in um, subsidized New York City housing in Queens. So during that year, my breakfast most mornings catching either the express bus or two trains and a bus to the Bronx from Queens was Dunkin' Donuts. My lunch was out of a kind of a, a vendor truck and um, my afternoon snack before debate was a Snickers bar. And dinner was usually pizza with my debate team or something I grabbed on the way home. My mom was a really good cook and she really did try to cook, but she worked two jobs. So um, sometimes she and I were getting home at the same time or sometimes I didn't even get home until eight or nine o'clock. And so I'd grab some cereal and do my homework and get to bed and, you know, rinse and repeat the next day. During that year of ninth grade, I went from weighing about 98 pounds, I'm a little petite person, to almost 140 pounds. I became stressed and anxious. And things at home with my mom got worse to the point where they were getting verbally and physically violent from her to me. And at some point I said, enough is enough. So remember, I was kind of a brainiac and really wanted to become a doctor. So that year I wrote a letter when you still had to write actual letters and lick envelopes and put stamps on them and send them places to Johns Hopkins University. And somebody in Johns Hopkins University, this was the medical school that I wrote to, I wrote a letter asking them to take me on early admission to the medical school. I said, I'm really smart. I'll do my college really fast. This was before their seven-year program where you could abbreviate your college and go right into med school even existed. And I basically just said, hey, will you take me? I'll do this. I'll work hard. I really want to go to medical school. Someone actually wrote me back, which was amazing when I think about it. I wish I still had that letter and said, you're a little young and you actually do have to finish college, but there is a program that could be amazing for you. And they told me about a school called Simon's Rock, which is in Western Massachusetts. And I surreptitiously got an application, didn't tell my mom, filled out my application, sent it in, um, got an interview, told her about it, got her permission to go. And lo and behold, I got accepted to college when I was 15 years old and I got a scholarship. And that was the beginning of what I like to call my hero's journey, or I actually call it my heroine's journey. Sort of enter Joseph Campbell here. Joseph Campbell talks about the hero's journey, which he bases on the epic tales of Odysseus and others who must leave home for years to find their inner powers. They're often helped or hindered by gods and goddesses. They have to fulfill what seem like superhuman tasks, and eventually they return home older and wiser. The journey has been re-envisioned as a heroine's journey using more feminine archetypes, which I relate to more. And the idea is that we have a time of our lives where we sort of 
um, as part of the heroine's journey, may also separate from our inner feminine. We may come to identify with masculine allies. We travel trials and meet ogres and dragons, and then we find booning success and awaken to spirit feelings of spirituality and our death. And then we have an initiation back into the feminine and an urgent yearning to reconnect with that feminine and heal that inner wounded split from our feminine. And we then learn to integrate what might be considered masculine and feminine traits. And much of what I've gone through in my life is kind of a combination of what Joseph Campbell talks about, about this sort of leaving home and this epic journey. And then merged with me for 10 years of what I call the heroine's journey was I when, when I was in medical school and training. So I want to kind of share that with you as an introduction to why I'm doing this podcast, why I do the work I do as a midwife, herbalist, and doctor, and how all of that came to be. So off I go to Simons Rock College in the middle of Nowheresville, basically Western Massachusetts in 1981. And during that year, I am not only doing my pre-medical education, but I meet this young man who teaches me about midwifery. He shows me this book called Spiritual Midwifery. And here I was, this 15-year-old, you know, off in the mountains in college. I skipped high school completely, but I was with other people who were relatively my age. I was one of the youngest few people there, but um, out of a college of about 200 of us, we ranged in age from me at 15 to about 20. So there I was in the middle of the wilderness in the woods learning to hike and camp and skinny dip in quarries. And I met this young man a couple of years older than I at the time, and um, he wanted to be a midwife. He was an incredible human being. Family was of Mayan uh, Indian descent from Mexico, both parents intellectuals. He was from New York City, really out there on the fringe. He had long hair and wore skirts and did beadwork, which he taught, he taught me to do. I was already very much a craftsperson from a young age also. I always did handwork, knitting and beadwork, and he, he took my skills to a whole other level. He taught me about connecting with nature and herbal medicines and he gave me my first copy of a book called Spiritual Midwifery. He also gave me a paper that was written by a Czechoslovakian psychiatrist named Stanislav Grof. Grof was doing really early, interesting work in Czechoslovakia as a psychotherapist, doing what he, he was putting people into these sort of hypnotic states and finding that people were experiencing what looked like rebirth experiences and re-experiencing what he considered perinatal trauma. And ultimately, he has kind of an interesting story that I'll kind of just mention briefly. He was brought to the United States by the U.S. government in the 60s to do LSD psychotherapy and like mind control experiments, crazy stuff. And ultimately, he got out of that and created um, something called the holotropic breath movement um, and holotropic breath work. But his basic ideas are that when we experience prenatal trauma or trauma at birth, we can live our lives seeking ways to either soothe ourselves or to recreate that trauma. So unless we free ourselves of that trauma through whether it's psychotherapy or 
other inner work, um, we are destined to kind of keep recreate, recreating potentially painful stories. And now here I was, 15, again, living in the woods, getting pretty hippie at that time. I was not a hippie before that. I was like a super straight arrow, you know, hardworking inner city kid. And my, my consciousness was just sort of like expanded. And Groff talked about how if we can work to prevent birth trauma, then we can heal generations. Now, I think that that's a little bit simplistic. There's a lot more that creates trauma in life. People can have really difficult births and have really whole healthy psyches and people can have really great births and experience other trauma. But there's something to it that was powerful and profound for me and entirely shifted my life trajectory from becoming a medical doctor at that time to wanting to become a midwife. You know, I was really idealist and really believed that if I could do work in women's health in pregnancy, maybe even before conception and at birth and help to create a gentle birth, I could help to create a more gentle beginning for us as human beings. And that inspired me. That Plus, at that time, when I began to study the history of women's health and midwifery, which I ultimately got my bachelor's of science in women's health studies, I started to learn about not only how women's rights had been subjugated from everything from land ownership to inheritances and you know everything basically about women's rights throughout history, but that the origins of Western medicine and Western science from the time of people like Bacon and Descartes in the 1500s were predicated on the idea that women's bodies and nature were unclean and were to be literally, if you read the early writings of these people, raped and plundered to meet men's needs. Combining that with the development of obstetrics and the suppression of women healers and midwives in the dark and middle ages, my eyes opened to a whole new life ahead of me, which was based on women's empowerment, women learning to reconnect with our bodies and with nature, and to take back our health and take back our bodies using the tools that we could. Now, don't forget, I was a major science geek and I still really am. I love science. I love curiosity. I love exploration. I love the little eureka moments that I get when something I read about from traditional medicine connects with something that I read about in science and physiology and they support each other. I mean, really, I like, I don't know. I have these little mini mental orgasms over stuff like that, to tell you the truth. It really lights my fire. I love it. So at that point, I was so interested in learning these alternatives that I decided to leave school because back then in 1981, the term alternative medicine didn't even exist. I mean, you had to be pretty much either apprenticing with someone or finding some way to study it on your own. I mean, that was really when acupuncture first was coming to the U.S. Um, the first naturopathic school was just even having its fledgling inklings at that time. 
and nobody, there were really, there were like three books on the market on herbal medicine back then. You can believe me, I bought all three of them. So I left school. I moved to Boston where I found a midwife who was willing to take me on as an apprentice. And I dug into the history of everything I could find about herbal medicine and midwifery. So by the time I was 20 years old, I had learned to live really close to the land and organic farm and compost. And I was a really early adopter of natural eating because along with my studies around women's health, I was studying more and more and more about health politics and the politics of pharmaceutical companies and the power of food as a very real preventative and healing tool. And so I wanted to, as much as possible, free myself from dependence on the pharmaceutical industry. I wanted to free myself and not be part of the contribution to industries like the pesticide and herbicide and animal raising industries for meat that were contributing not only harm to us as human beings, but harm to the entire global ecosystem, to our soil, to our air, to our water. And as we now know, with recent studies showing that at the time of birth, newborns have over 300 environmental chemicals already present in their umbilical cords. What I was already anticipating back then, based on my reading of people like Rachel Carson and other folks who were sounding early clarion calls about the implications of all these chemicals, not only in our bodies, but in nature, I wanted to be part of that movement to make change. And so I felt like becoming a midwife was such a great way to do it because I could be as upstream as possible by helping women and, and their partners before they got pregnant to be as healthy as possible, then helping them have optimally healthy pregnancies and help babies come into the world healthy. And in order to do all of this, I really had to walk my own talk. So for many years, I was a vegetarian. I was a vegan at that time. I literally ate no foods out of packaging unless it was absolutely inevitable. I recycled everything. I brought my own containers to my food co-op. I was on my food co-ops advisory board for which products that we should and shouldn't carry. I wrote the newsletter for my food co-ops. And in fact, my first article that I ever had published in sort of a a broad magazine, you know, other than just sort of publishing it to my own family and friends, was about um, food politics. And this was before the days where we could get any fair trade or fair wage foods. And so I wrote an article back in like 1983 on coffee and cashews and other import products and um, alternatives to those. So food politics birth politics, environmental politics are all really important um, pieces of my 35-year now study and um, practice in the world of natural medicine for women. And what ended up happening was that as I um, practiced midwifery and also had my own children, of which I have four children, they're all now grown. The youngest at the time of this recording is 21 and the oldest is 30. And I also have uh, two grandchildren, ages four and one, who I had the joy and pleasure of midwifing at home. My own four children were born at home as well. So as I started having my kids, 
I wanted to extend everything I was doing naturally to them. And then as my clients were having their own home births and sometimes hospital births, um, they wanted to raise their children naturally. So I sort of by default, just by being one of the only ones doing it and studying it, became an expert in women's natural medicine and children's natural medicine with a particular emphasis on lifestyle, food, and botanical medicines. During that time, I also learned how to do things like make fire by friction. I studied with naturalists to learn how to identify harvest plants for my own medicines. I learned how to um, build a sweat lodge and do ritual in nature and lead women's circles. And uh, I ran groups to teach kids um, naturalist experiences and skills so that kids could feel more comfortable in nature. I ran groups on helping young women to become more comfortable with their transition into womanhood. So women's empowerment groups. It was just such a beautiful time in my life and uh, raising my kids in the community that I was attending births in and our kids growing up together. And I saw some beautiful and amazing and powerful things happen. And um, during those years, I also wrote many books. One of the things that has been a passion of mine since I was a very little girl is uh, writing. And I've always written, and I actually, when other kids were collecting pens, I mean, collecting dolls and things, I was collecting pens and notebooks. And I was saying so many of the same things over and over and over to my clients. And I realized that there was a need and a desire for more information out there in the greater world. So I wrote my first book, The Natural Pregnancy Book. And then I wrote Naturally Healthy Babies and Children. And I wrote The Vaccinations, A Thoughtful Parent's Guide, because I really wanted to write a book about vaccinations that wasn't hysterical on either side or scaring the heck out of parents about whether they should or shouldn't vaccinate, but gave parents the information that I needed myself to make a really educated decision. Here's something someone wrote me um, this past year. She said, Dear Aviva, it wasn't until my fourth pregnancy that I learned about you and your books. A friend recommended the natural pregnancy book. I read it at about 14 weeks and I cried for a full night. I had had a miscarriage the year before and I never processed it correctly. From that moment on of reading your book, I applied homeopathy herbs and my own strength as a woman to have a beautiful and peaceful pregnancy eventually and a wonderful first time natural birth. I read your book over and over. I memorized much of it. The book allowed the true me to surface, to have confidence in being a woman, to look at my pregnancy and my body with gratitude and confidence, to look at my friends as women who have given birth and who also have suffered losses. I look at my daughters now with awe at the potential they have. These are the kinds of emails, letters I get. She said, you through your beautiful book opened my eyes to something my grandmothers, my mother, my mother-in-law and sisters couldn't taught me because they were not taught. And this is the kind of information and knowing and wisdom that I hope to bring to you through this podcast and through the guests that I know through their work and the women and some of the men I love to come and share their own stories and wisdom with you. So what happened for me is I spent 25 years as a home birth midwife, as an herbalist. I wrote 
seven books. I wrote a textbook. It's the definitive textbook on women's herbal medicine. I got involved in natural medicine politics. I ran the National um, Herbal Organization for a decade as president and was on the board for almost a decade additionally and created national policies around um, herbal medicine standards and practice and did a lot of education. Uh, And then something clicked for me. I realized that I was still hungry to be a doctor, but now I was hungry for it in a whole new and different way. The science geek in me was screaming for more information. But even more than that, what I saw happening out there in the world is that one in eight women were struggling with a fertility problem, that 50% of women over 60 were going to have a hysterectomy. And it was well known scientifically, medically, and statistically that most hysterectomies are unnecessary and actually can cause more harm and more problems than they solve. I was watching the cesarean section rate rise from when I was 18 and starting my midwifery actual apprenticeship and, and practice to from 20%, which was considered really high at the time, to now 34% and in teaching hospitals as high as 40% in the United States. And again, medically, scientifically, we know that most C-sections are unnecessary and cause more harm than good. I've been watching as the obesity rates have skyrocketed. So now over 60% of women over 50 will actually be considered overweight or obese, but even more frightening or maybe as frightening, to me it's more frightening, our kids One in four kids with a food allergy, one in five kids with a serious medical problem, one in three kids predicted to be overweight or obese. And by 2020, 50% of us expected to be obese or have diabetes. I knew I needed to do something to have an impact beyond birth and pregnancy, beyond my little community that I was lovingly practicing in and and lovingly embraced by. And I needed to go into the fire and become a doctor. So that's part of where sort of the heroine's journey becomes part of my life because until then I had been steeped in the feminine. I had been surrounded by the loving embrace of women like Ina Mae Gaskin and Janine Parvati Baker and Susan Weed, who I can call allies and colleagues and friends Janine passed away some years ago, was a very dear friend and mentor for me. And my life was filled with women's wisdom and women's ritual and connection to the earth. And then all of a sudden, I found myself in hospitals for 30 or more hours at a time, never looking out a window on shifts. I found myself not always able to stick with my organic diet because I had to run into the hospital for something and had forgotten my lunch at home because I hadn't slept the night before and I was exhausted. One night in desperation, the cafeteria was closed. I had coded three patients in a row. Coded is, you know, like on Grey's Anatomy where, you know, somebody is code blue, code blue, and you're resuscitating them and paddling them and saying clear and all that stuff. Yeah. Three in a row because I was on internal medicine working with really sick people. So I had skipped dinner and we had run out of our snacks 
And at one o'clock in the morning, I was eating a hamburger, a $1.99 hamburger out of a vending machine that I had heated it up the hamburger in a microwave. After that, I made sure always to have emergency snacks because that was an all-time low. And it was such a far departure from my healthy lifestyle. But in those seven years of training, which is like seven years of the hero's journey of of the odyssey, right? Seven years on this arduous journey. I lost a lot of sleep. I got inflammation in my body. I was reminded of what can happen to our bodies when we're not living that more organic lifestyle where we're tending to our food, tending to our sleep. I gained weight again. That 40 pounds that I had gained in my ninth grade year when I was 14, as soon as I started eating right when I was 15, all that weight dropped away. And I have stayed the same pretty much except for my pregnancies, you know, solidly. And then in that residency time with crazy, you know, the Dunkin' Donuts and the coffee, I'd never drank coffee before, really found myself remembering what life can be like when you go off of that path for long enough. You know, we can all handle some deviations and indiscretions now and then, but I was living on fumes and I got a urinary tract infection. I had to take an antibiotic for the first time since I was 14 years old. I had gone from 15 to 42 with not even taking a Tylenol or an antibiotic ever. And in fact, I raised four of my kids without an antibiotic. Now, I'm not against antibiotics. I'm not against pharmaceuticals. I prescribe them when I need to in my practice, I prescribed one for one of my college daughters a couple of years ago when she got a sinus infection. Their conventional medicine has incredible value, and that was part of why I went to medical school, was to help people, help you, my listeners, my readers, my patients, my family, my friends, my colleagues, know when to use conventional therapies and when not to. And the reality is is that probably 98% of the time, we don't have to for common conditions. We almost never have to for common conditions. But even for more serious condition prevention, going natural, going native, as I like to say, eating a healthy diet, using natural supplements, using herbs, spending time in nature, bringing ourselves back to our core soft center and being in a more relaxed meditative space that is really where the true prevention and the true healing can happen. And it's only when we're so far out of that or occasionally, I mean, there are things that can happen beyond our control genetically or environmentally. And then we do need sort of the big guns. We do need conventional medicine. But one of my biggest goals is to use this podcast to help you make that choice. So you know when you do need to go down that road of a conventional medicine, how to go down that road safely and empowered, and when you can use alternatives and sort of where along the spectrum that line shifts, right? Most things you can even try using natural therapies and alternatives first. And then if things progress, then you want to jump in and use the conventional therapies. To me, there's really no separation. It's all sort of like a continuum of learning what to use and when most appropriately and individualized to each of us as women and extending that to our children. So I went to medical school. I went to Yale for medical school. And then I did my intern year in internal medicine. 
at Yale. But in internal medicine, we don't really do much gynecology. We tend to turf that off to family doctors and obstetrician gynecologists, and we don't do pediatrics. And so I found myself feeling like I was doing a lot of care of people who were already quite sick and, you know, diabetic and having heart disease, maybe already had a heart attack. I sometimes met patients for the first time when they needed to have a below the knee amputation or a foot amputation because their diabetes was so bad they had an infection in their foot, but they couldn't even feel it because of nerve damage from the diabetes. And all of that is really important. And we do need that kind of medical care because we, we have a really sick culture, sadly. But what I wanted to do was practice medicine in a way that not only treated when my patients were sick, but did more prevention. So I switched to family medicine for the rest of my residency. So I did a year of internal medicine, and then I did two years of family medicine where I specialized in pediatrics and obstetrics. I did a double specialty, gynecology and obstetrics. And um, I also did a combined residency program in integrative medicine to kind of shore up some of my science in that area. Then I spent two years after residency, I was actually sought out by Dr. Mark Hyman, who welcomed me and embraced me in the world of functional medicine. He had heard about me and wrote me an email and said, don't know if you know me, but I am looking for a new doctor in my practice. And I heard that you were the woman to get. And it was really funny because I had heard of him, but really I just kind of heard of him as a celebrity doctor, didn't really know that much. I knew about functional medicine because I had other colleagues um, practicing it. But um, I was about to go to Haiti for a month. uh, And I said to Mark, well, you know, I'm interested, but I don't necessarily just want to kind of practice high-end medicine and I'm going to Haiti. So we can either meet before I go or when I get back. And he said, oh, um, I went to Haiti the day after the earthquake, which had been about a year and a half before I went. And uh, I flew down the day after the earthquake with my good friend, Paul Farmer. Now, if you don't know Paul Farmer, Paul Farmer is a renegade physician who's been doing healthcare work in Haiti and other places, not just Haiti. He has been responsible for educating the world about tuberculosis prevention. If you haven't read his books, he's a remarkable physician. And uh, if you like books on tape, Mountains Beyond Mountains, or reading the book Mountains Beyond Mountains by Pulitzer Prize winner Tracy Kidder, telling uh, Paul Farmer's story is really incredible. So when Mark told me that, I was like, wow, yeah, I totally have the time of day for this guy. And I went out and really loved what he was doing and what he was offering to share with me. And he welcomed me into sort of what I call the center of the storm because at our practice at the Ultra Wellness Center where I was for two years, we really saw some of the sickest of the sick um, who had fallen through the cracks of Western medicine. So I was able to take everything that I had learned as a midwife about being body-centered and helping women to trust their bodies and listen to their bodies and everything I had learned about an eco- as an ecologist and environmentalist about really relying on healthy food and healthy living and avoiding the things that can make us sick and toxic that our bodies don't know how to process and eliminate like the tens of thousands of environmental chemicals that we're exposed to each year, particularly through our food and our homes and our cosmetics. And I was able to bring the now 30 plus years of experience I had with herbal medicine all together in this integrated whole with functional medicine and a whole set of tools to bring conventional medicine to my patients in a whole new way. 
So I did that for two years and I loved working with Mark and had a tremendously powerful um, experience and um, mentorship with him and, and my own that lasted for the first few months and then my own um, practice within his practice for a couple of years. And yet at that time I needed to return. Remember that heroine's journey, that stepping away from the feminine into the masculine, which Medicine, the world of medicine still very much is, even though there are so many more women doctors, women doctors are trained in a patriarchal condescending system that still denies the power of the body and really sort of sees itself as quite godlike. Yes, medicine is changing and there are many, many more wonderful, integrative, functional, and even conventional doctors who are practicing in a patient-centered and heart-centered way. But I wanted to step out and create something new for myself and for my patients and for the women who come and seek my support and care and information. And I call it transformational healing because it's not just about another, uh, it's not just like in conventional medicine, there's a pill for every ill. And sometimes in integrative or functional medicine, there can be what I call a supplement for every symptom. But I want to bring that in that healing of supplements, the healing of what we know from conventional medicine into something deeper, into an understanding of how our life experiences shape our experiences and our expectations of our bodies, how we can use changing our own mindset and our inner voices and how we talk to ourselves and how we respect and respond to our bodies as women as mothers, to shape our experience of healthcare and what things and what tools that we do go to for healthcare. So that's where I am now in my life. And I want to return to what I said at the beginning. What if I told you your body has the ability to heal, that it's greater than anyone has ever permitted you to believe? What I've seen in 35 years of working with women working with natural healing, working with the power of our ability to heal, is that amazing things can happen, that we don't need a pill for every ill. We don't even need a supplement for every symptom. What we need is an integration of believing in ourselves, of believing in our body's ability to heal, in believing in the power of nature, and in being empowered in making the choices over what and when we use, barring emergency situations and life-threatening situations. Obviously, we surrender and go with what's needed in the moment in those. I really believe, and I've seen it in my own life, I've seen it in how I've raised my children and who they've become and their own health, that we all have in us the ability to be the CEO of our own health that we all have within us the power to make the best decisions for ourselves and to seek those people that we can trust who can help us find that true and reliable information so that we're not just sort of whipped about by one fad or another fad, that we're not confused all the time by the bazillion experts that are out there on the internet because there are voices that you can turn to and trust. And what I hope to be is that resource or one of those resources for you where I am actually now able to distill my 35 years of being in the alternative space of 
being in that space of using herbs, of using food, of knowing how to use supplements, of what foods really do help and what foods really do harm and finding that balance in our lives so that we can also experience pleasure and enjoyment and ease and peace of mind. A big piece that I really want to bring you through this podcast is peace of mind, where you can have the confidence that because of my training as a medical doctor, my scientific training as a Yale physician, my grounding in training in pediatrics, women's health, obstetrics, gynecology, and internal medicine, that I am actually sorting through the highest level of science, the best science that's out there, understanding the controversies and helping you bust through those controversies, helping to bust myths that may hinder our health, that may drive us to taking medications that we don't need, or that may actually keep us from taking medications that can benefit our health. I believe we all have the chance to take back our health. And regardless what our health is now, whether you're healthy and you want to learn to stay healthy, whether you're struggling with or suffering from common symptoms, anywhere from constipation to sleep problems, whether you're trying to get pregnant, whether you are pregnant and want to have a healthy birth, if you've had a birth trauma and want to heal that, if you want to raise your kids healthy, if you want to enter menopause healthy and stay healthy, if you want to learn to be financially and relationship and career empowered in your life, if you want to know whether to eat grain or not eat grain, whether to take a thyroid medication or not take a thyroid medication, how to heal your adrenals, I want to bring you and intend to bring you the best of that information and also those guests that I trust, that I turn to, and that I think have wonderful things to share with you. So welcome to Natural MD Radio. And thank you for joining me. And I hope to hear from you in the comment section below. Please share with me your questions, your interests, your thoughts, who you want to hear from, what you want to hear. And my goal is to bring that to you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.